This is Hit Bull Win Podcast, the official podcast of the Durham Bulls, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of Hit Bull Win Podcast. I am Patrick Norwood, your video and digital production manager here with the Durham Bulls. I am joined, as always, by Scott Strickland, your assistant general manager, comma, operations. We have a great interview for you today yes, with sir. friend of the podcast, Neil Solons. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to another great episode of Hit Bull Win Podcast. Welcome, friend uh, of the podcast, Neil Solons. Neil, how are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. As we sit here, it is Thursday, October 8th. The Rays are up 2-1 to one on the Yankees right now. Neil, just uh, let's, let's go ahead and crank it open with some opening thoughts on the series so far, the playoffs so far, uh, and what you, obviously, we hope to see a win, but what you hope to see from here on out. Well, you know, I, I think for the most part, from a race perspective, they've played pretty clean baseball. Um, and I think they've played fairly loose and relaxed. Um, there's, you know, maybe one inning they'd like to have back, probably the ninth inning of um, game one of the ALDS. Um, and otherwise, this has been an extremely competitive, close series that I kind of expected. I mean, you know, race Yankees was really good battle in the regular season. And while the race had the, you know, the, the numbers in terms of wins, I think we all expected that this would be a tight series because the Yankees are a lot healthier now than they were during the regular seasons. They are, they certainly are a different team, right? With uh, those guys that have come back. One thing that's been fun to watch from a, a baseball strategy f- fan um, is a lot of the, the mixing and matching that's been going on. Um, the Yankees sneaking in an opener and watching a, a five left-handed batter response from the Rays. Um, talk about kind of the, the back-and-forth strategy that's been going on. Yeah, you know, in, in game two, it, it's kind of drawn the most attention because the Yankees had won game one. They had Tanaka set up for game three, and they decided to go with an opener and then a bulk guy, so to speak, in rookie Davey Garcia and a veteran Jay Happ. And, you know, I, I think in listening to the postgame comments, I think they were most telling. Um, I don't get a sense. I, I think the reason the Rays are successful with the strategies they use is because all the players are 100% committed to the idea. Um, and, and they are committed in terms of the way they in terms of their convictions and the way they go out and play the game and trusting the process and that it's one unit. And because this was such a unique strategy used by the Yankees, I didn't get a sense that there was complete buy-in. And I think it's harder to succeed that way. You can still win in spite of that, but it's harder to have success when you don't. Um, And I thought they actually were set up fairly well for the series without using that strategy. Um, Sometimes we, we, you know, make our thoughts based on results um, but I think in this case, it had more to do just with the comments that you heard post game, uh, on the Yankee side of things. Cool. Um, what are you expecting now? Now, granted when, when folks listen to this, 
this will be after the fact. So we're putting you on the spot here, Neil. What do you expect to see out of the pitching situation for the Rays tonight? Which In game four, Thursday night? you know, when they use an opener, um, a lot of it is they have ideas going into the game as to, as to what they would like to do. But I think the what they eventually do decide to go with is dependent on several things. One, it's how the Yankees form their lineup. And I would still imagine that they would be predominantly right-handed as they've been. Um, two would be the situation, how effective the pitchers are in the score. You know, there have been times where the Rays have used an opener in front of a left-hander that's right-handed and gone right to the opener. There have been times where they've used two right-handers and then based on the score, then gone to either Ryan Yarbrough or Josh Fleming and then decided based on the score. I think if there were an ideal world, it would be that the Rays could get couple innings out of some right-handers to begin, take a lead, use Ryan Yarbrough through the end of the sixth or the seventh, and then be able to use your Fairbanks, Castillo, Anderson. I mean, that would be a perfect world-type situation. But as you know, in the game, you, you can't, you can't uh, design perfect world because, you know, you can't uh, – it's not that easy. And the Yankees have a really good lineup. So, you know, a lot will depend on how they start um, and how – how the guys also perform against Jordan Montgomery, who, if you remember back to the last regular season game between the two teams, didn't last the first inning. The Rays jumped on him, but that was also coming off the intensity of the Araldis Chapman throwing behind Mike Brasso the day before. Um, it was probably um, the most memorable moment, I thought, of the regular season for the Rays. For sure, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I believe it was game three was the 18 strikeout game. Um, at what point did you notice that game was going to be something, or excuse me, it was game two, it was game two. Um, at, at what point did you realize that game was something special? It was, you know, cause I feel like for those games, for me, when I'm watching baseball, it's, you look up and, oh my gosh, he's got, you know, they've got nine Ks, they've got 10 Ks, you know, at what point did you look up and go, whoa, that's, that's getting up there? Well, I mean, I, I think probably, I mean, Tyler Glasnow was always going to collect a lot of strikeouts. I mean, I guess he was at what, uh, 14 per nine innings for the season and obviously a shortened regular season and being at full strength that if he was able to land his breaking ball, um, it just makes him so devastating. And, and he had great stuff. I mean, the only guy who got to him was Giancarlo Stanton and there were a couple of walks mixed in that he, you know, those are probably the ones that he wanted back. There was one, I think to Luke Boy. but in terms of the strikeouts themselves, you knew he was going to pile them up and then you're, you're using your three best relievers who all throw, I don't know, anywhere from 97 to 100 um, with, you know, in Diego Castillo's case, a really good slider. Yes, and for sure. Nick Anderson's case, an incredibly good curveball and um, very similar breaking ball in terms of the slider. Pete Fairbanks, different characteristics than Castillo, but more fastball slider based. Um, you know, to me, what, what stood out for that game was not as much the record, but just how good Nick Anderson was and how calm he was in such a difficult moment. Because at the time that he comes in, it's what, 6-4, you get two on, nobody out, and you're facing 9-1-2, and two, um, which is Sanchez, Judge, I mean, LeMahieu and Judge. Um, and he struck them all out like it was nothing um, and had such a calm – I mean, I know he always has a calm demeanor, but that was especially impressive. And then to bounce back and throw a 1-2-3 inning the next inning, you know, when you're pitching in front of no crowd – 
and you're off that adrenaline high and you have to regenerate that adrenaline to go out and get mm-hmm. you know the, the three, four, five guys, which was what Boyd and Stanton are in there. I mean, that's pretty impressive too. So, you know, I think his performance among all of them was the one that stood out to me the most in game two. For sure. For sure. And I, I think it's really interesting too, that this is all happening in the bubble. That's, that's something that as I'm watching these games, I'm kind of forgetting as time goes on and on. Um, it, it's, it's a little odd, obviously, and nobody's really used to it, but how do you think that sort of affected um, not just the playoffs in general, but this series between the Yankees and the Rays? Well, I mean, you know, you think about what it would have been if, if, you know, you were in a position where we're not in a pandemic, have crowds and, you know, the, the, how would guys react in those moments? Um, you know, you might even think that the rosters might be a little bit different. Um, you know, would the Rays have been willing to activate a Shane McClanahan um, for the postseason as a guy who had not, I mean, he would have pitched above double A this year or pitched double A and above, but to pitch in your first major league game in the playoffs is, is challenging, but maybe a little um, it's a it's, it's a little different in that you're not pitching before a crowd. Sure. Um, as good as this stuff is, I, I think that, you know, the dynamics are changed a little bit um, for, for all sides. Um, you know, I think for some, it may be easier to relax in the moment. For some, it may be harder to get up for a moment because there is no crowd behind you. Sure. That extra adrenaline boost. So I definitely think it changes it, but I think the fact that both sides dealt with it for an entire regular season and the first round of the playoffs, I certainly think they're used to it. Um, I think the fact that they are in a bubble is impactful in that even if you didn't have a crowd, Yankee Stadium is a huge boost to the to New York. I mean, they hit twice as many homers there as they did on the road. Sure. Wonder and, why. And, and, and I think for the Rays, playing on the turf would have been a, a detriment to the Yankees. Um, you know, they have made it very clear they don't like playing at Tropicana Field. So um, I think it all kind of evens out in terms of plus minuses, and it comes down to just who plays better. We'll be right back after this. I was looking up last night when the last World Series had every single game played on artificial turf. I couldn't find an answer. So we might talk about that in the next podcast. <laughs> That's a tease right there. Yes, great great teaser, Scott. Terms. Good. Yeah, I'm sure the two of us are going to put our brain power together and really <laughs> crank out that homework. But on the uh, the offensive side of the ball, Neil, did you wear cowboy boots yesterday? I didn't. Um, I have not worn them this series. I'll let Randy uh, Arena continue to wear them, though, as he sees fit. And uh, whatever he does, keep doing it. Because um, I I think I said it on the post game after game three that I, any adjective I use to describe it, what he's doing is probably underplaying what he's doing. Um, I in the series and the playoffs, just in general. I mean, you know, he's it's not like he had a lot of big league time, um, and it's it's amazing and and really enjoyable to watch. Um, because he's beyond the fact that he's playing great, he's also a terrific story. Sure, sure. How uh, about uh, how about KK last night? Um, to bunt or not to bunt? I hate bunting. I will never. I, I, well, first of all, it's a one-one game in the fourth inning. You're facing the Yankees. I mean, I think we all know that 
one run in the fourth inning really doesn't mean anything because um, they can sneeze and score five runs. Um, you know, they're the first three games, their low output was four, you know, they scored four, five and nine, and they scored double digits in both Cleveland games. So you try and score and you try and score as many runs as you can, whenever you can, you don't play for one. Um, unless, you know, you're in extra innings potentially, and you see their part of the lineup and you've got Nick Anderson pitching. That's the only way I would consider playing for one. Um, and, you know, you got to take advantage of mistakes and KK did. And, you know, Michael Perez, you know, Kevin, the Rays didn't have a sacrifice the entire regular season. Um, and Michael Perez actually was sacrificing and right. successfully before yeah. he hit a two run homer off Chad Green to the opposite field, which um, let's just say that was not in my expected category. Um, you know, but I give Michael a lot of credit for sure. putting him, you know, for bouncing back from a, you strike hold, but generally when you're when you're in the postseason, the, the if you look at the lineups that are left in the ALDS, the Astros can score it well, yeah. the A's can score it well, the For Yankees sure. can score it well, and obviously the Rays are productive. So, you know, I I don't want to give outs any outs to any pitchers. I think outs by bunting and outs by running recklessly on the bases. Mm. You, you got to run when the time is right and take advantage of opportunities, but I think you have to be smart about your decisions and let your hitters hit. Yeah, Neil, I think uh, I, I don't want to go morbid here, but I think that would be a great epitaph for you, by the way, is if you said, you know, here lies Neil Solon's loving family man, great son, wonderful broadcaster, hated bunting. <laughs> and that, that could just be it. I think I think that's perfect. I think you nailed it. What was what was the license plate that I, I think someone did you post that, Scott, or somebody else did on Twitter? It's a it says never bunt. Never <laughs> bunt. Dave Dave was talking about on the air. Yeah. I haven't seen that, um, but I'm going to look into it. But okay. what what you were talking about of running at the right time, being smart, making wise decisions throughout the game. Do you think that's a part? of the growth that we've seen over the last couple of years. Joe Madden always talks about, right, of the the stages and progression of a player of getting to a point where you know, I'm a big leaguer. I ex- I'm supposed to succeed at the big league level. Do you think this evolution um, of last year, you know, bowing out in the division series against a great opponent, um, but they're, they're building. They continue to build and take additional steps, and they certainly look like a confident team right now. There's no doubt they're confident, um, and I think they all have been motivated. Um, I think there was one point during the pandemic where Eric Neander said, you know what, the pandemic can be a negative and that it's only going to be a shortened season, but I don't think the motivation of this loss that I saw in February and March, that guys are extremely motivated, and that's not to say the Yankees or the A's or the Astros are not. They all are. Mm. Um, but I think the race felt so close yet so far um, against a team that eventually played in the World Series again in Houston. Um, and I think that, you know, they, when you mentioned Joe Madden, I mean, the, the two areas that I think were most critical to a big leaguer was stage three was believe you belong and stage five was all you want to do is win. And I definitely think watching this team the last three years, all the guys fit into that category. Um, If they're benched and they come off the bench, so be it. If they play against only a left-hander, so be it. 
If they play against only a right-hander, so be it. If they have to open, if they have to close, if they have to pitch the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the third, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that's why this team is successful because they're all pulling the rope in the same direction. That's why they've gotten to the point they're at as we speak. Um, you know, and hopefully they can just continue to take it further because it's really an enjoyable group. Um, and, and they play the game the right way. Um, and it's hard not to want to see them succeed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Neil, I got one more for you. We're, we're going to open it up, go, go more broad, because that's what you're taught in your journalism classes, right? As you, you start specific, broaden, broaden, broaden. Uh, what other series are you watching right now that are really catching your eye and going, wow, that one's a lot of fun, or this team's really going to go far, or anything like Basically, I'm just asking for you to make a perfect prediction right now for how the rest of the season is going to go, Neil. So if you could just do that right quick. You know, Scott's trying to make a couple of extra bucks here and there. Um, so, you know. <laughs> What, what are you seeing? Usually what I would say is do the opposite of whatever, whatever I suggest. That's <laughs> the best way, route to go. Welcome to baseball, um, right? I've been incredibly impressed by, obviously, the Dodgers. Um, you know, they don't look like they have a ton of weaknesses, and they're playing a San Diego team that is playing them tooth and nail and is extremely talented. Um, yet there's just so many guys on the field who make plays. I mean, that's what to me stands out in the brief amount of time I've seen the Dodgers series, because by the time we end the postgame show, it's usually like the sixth inning and I'm driving home. Um, I've seen some of the A's Astros and the intensity of that series has been extremely impressive. Um, and I think that what I'm interested to see for whoever advances among the eight teams is the new dynamic if we go six or seven games in a best of seven, because to play that without a day off is unprecedented. Um, can you, can, I mean, if you don't use five, in essence, five starters, then you're going to have three starters working on three days rest or two working on three days rest and a bullpen day in game seven. Um, I'm extremely intrigued by if there's a deep series, how teams handle their roster and how teams use their roster for the course that that's probably, if you're looking at going forward, what to watch for, that's my watch because the, the championship series is going to be so unique. The world series is going to be much more conventional, right? I think it's, I think they have a couple of days off built in. So that's going to be more like it's been in the past, but m even more interesting than a five game series where you best of five where no days off is a best of seven with no days off. Um, and I'm extremely interested. I hope, that, you know, the Rays are able to advance and get to that point um, because I think they're built fairly well for that compared to some of the other teams that are remaining. For sure. For sure. Well, Neil, we really appreciate you, man. We wish you the best uh, throughout the rest of the postseason. Anytime you want to come on down to Durham, we will uh, have our masks on and be socially distant and can't <laughs> wait to see you. Um, thank you so much for everything, man. We really appreciate the talk. Of course. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. See you, buddy. What a great interview. Wonderful. Neil is just, he's so good. I, th I actually think he could be a GM. What a lot of people... I, I swear <laughs> I thought you were about to say, I think he could be a broadcaster. <laughs> Scott, I have the greatest news of all time. He should look into that. Yeah. You know, back in the day, he was so close with Charlie Montoyo that they would discuss lineups together. Like, sure. Neil was the, the data. Yeah. Neil was the data. Well, Burling does that with me with most everything <laughs> here. So, Thank you all for joining us. Uh, next week might have a big interview, might have a big name. Huge.
you're you're gonna want to you're gonna want to listen. So uh, be keeping up with the Durham Bulls on social. Uh, it's not hard to find us. Search Durham Bulls, and we should come up on every single piece of social media out there. Uh, thank you so much for listening again. Check out our items in the pro shop. We got some cool stuff going right now. DurhamBulls.com/shop. Uh, and like I said, just join with us on social, and we will talk to you very soon.